evening, church. It's good to see you. Welcome to another episode of The Armchair Theologian. You can tell by the surroundings that we have uh, forsaken the uh, armchair yet again because we know that the armchair is more metaphorical in nature and is not required for our discussions. Uh, but this evening, we are uh, going to be uh, looking at uh, something that I think is going to be really interesting. In fact, for the next couple, three weeks, we're going to be doing this leading up to Christmas. If you haven't realized it, uh, Sunday was the beginning of the second week of Advent. And so we're now in the in the full end of the second week. And uh, we have four basic candles with a fifth that uh, we often use to represent uh, Jesus. And in the Advent season, everybody knows, or if they don't, they should by now, um, that it means simply the coming, uh, the coming of the King. And so we celebrate the season of Advent uh, in different ways, um, in different cultures all across the world. But one thing is uniform is that in the season of Advent, we are celebrating the birth and the entrance of our Lord and Savior into real history, Jesus Christ. And so we're pretty excited about that. So the candles, as I've talked about on Sunday morning, usually represent three different or four different things. Um, the first candle represents hope. It's we call it the prophet's candle, um, and it refers to the Old Testament prophecies from um, Isaiah and several of the other um, well-known prophets as they foretold of the coming Messiah and how he would be born in a small little town of Bethlehem and how his birth came about just as it was prophesied. The second candle is the candle this week and it really deals with what we call the shepherd's candle or what I like to call the candle of peace. So you have hope, peace, love, and joy. Uh, love is usually the pink candle and it, it is usually representative of Mary and uh, next week we'll talk a little more about that. But this week I want to just take a few minutes to um, not really depart from scripture but use scripture as our jump off place as we start to look at something that I think is near and dear to my heart during the Christmas season, and hopefully yours as well. Um, and if not, maybe this will give you an opportunity to have a, a different viewpoint um, on something that I think is, is really a, a part of the, uh, the church experience, the Christian experience um, that has been around for a very long time. We'll get to that in a second. But we're really just going to be looking at the advent, if you will, of the Son of God, uh, Jesus Christ. And um, the fact that uh, from the shepherd's perspective, since it's the shepherd's candle, um, in the Bible, in the book of uh, Luke, uh, chapter uh, chapter 2, we see a, um, a scene that's just a beautiful picture of the agricultural world uh, that Jesus was born into. Uh, the idea that Jesus was born not to a high station, but to a low station, to the people in a small, poor family, and how the first people that attended his birth were not royalty from afar, but shepherds from the field. And that's kind of the beauty of, uh, of the shepherd's candle. It's that peace. And it really comes down to what the angels said to the shepherds on that day. Um, there was, uh, it said in that day, in the same region, verse, verse 8, chapter 2 in the book of Luke, uh, in that same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, the Shekinah glory of God shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be, be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. 
For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared an angel with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Um, and then when the angels had gone, the shepherds uh, said to themselves, hey, we got to find out about this. And they ran to find the baby. So we're, um, uh, we're going to turn to another book uh, that I think is, uh, as it's not, it's not inspired scripture, but it's filled with words from God's word that were inspired by God and was changed, not in a bad way, but in a way that was uh, set to music. And you say, well, what are you talking about, preacher? Are you talking about heresy? What are you going to say? I'm talking about the Baptist hymnal. Okay, now it isn't just the Baptist hymnal, it could be any hymnal and almost, I mean, of any Christian hymnal, but it's interesting to know that many of the hymns, now granted these were written a long time ago, but many of these hymns were written with scripture fully in the mind of the people that were writing it. Now I'm not going to be, I'm not going to say, and please do not take my words any other way in this, I'm not saying that the hymns in our hymnal are in any way uh, uh, direct inspiration on the same level as the Bible. Not saying that. But I am saying that the men and the women, the men and women that wrote some of these great hymns um, that we love to sing, especially during the Christmas season, are songs that were put on their heart, I would say, by God. And through the reading and the studying of his word, they were so impressed that they felt that they had to write poetry that later became music that we now sing in churches all over the world. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, talk about what kind of music should we sing in church, right? And I'll be honest, I'm kind of an older hymn guy. Um, I like the hymns. Uh, I grew up in that way. Uh, I, ca I came to know Christ in the early 80s, and uh, we, became to we came to know uh, sort of the Christian experience in a, in a Baptist church in Jacksonville, Florida. And, but even before that, we were pretty much immersed in the Episcopal and the Catholic faith, and, and the Christmas music was something that um, the same Christmas hymns are sung in all the churches that we've ever attended my entire life. And so it wasn't for the first time in a Baptist church that I heard the hymns uh, sung at Christmas time, we call it Christmas carols, but it was the first time that when I, when I read and sang them, that I could see the meaning behind it. It wasn't just something I did at memory, from memory, it was something I now did from my heart. And there's a lot of theology that's found in there. And so I wanna turn our attention to one of the best, one of the most unique hymns, talking about that shepherd's experience. Um, the, the, the hymn is entitled, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. It was written in 1739-ish by a young preacher by the name of Charles Wesley. He, he and his brother 
uh, were part of that, uh, that great revival that happened in England that eventually spread to the Americas. And once Charles Wesley became saved, he couldn't stop dwelling on the Word of God, and he couldn't stop writing poetry about God's Word. In fact, he would write every chance he got. And, and back in those days, you know, they didn't travel by, uh, by stagecoach in England. Uh, they didn't travel by uh, rail much in England, although I think the, by, by 1870, or by, no, in 1800s they had the, uh, the train, but, but in the 1700s they didn't. And so Charlie, Charles Wesley, at least I don't think, don't quote me on I'm not, a tra- I'm not a train buff, um, but uh, Charles Wesley oftentimes would ride from town to town as he was as he was going from one area of the country to preach to another, and on the back of the horse as he was as he was walking on the horse down the road, he would oftentimes write out hymns over his life. He wrote six thousand hymns and it was pretty often during these long trips that he would stop at houses along the way and to buy or borrow uh, ink and paper because he had run out during the trip Uh, and there's nothing worse than running out of ink and pen and paper uh, on a horseback trip when you're in the midst of writing Uh, there was another great preacher from the Americas uh, Jonathan Edwards that did the same thing he wrote thousands of sermons and um, didn't preach all of them but many of them were written on the back of a horse as he was going from one village to another, which is kind of amazing. Um, I've never, never had that experience of riding on the back of a horse. Uh, I've ridden a horse, just not written on the back of a horse. So one of the songs that he wrote was this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it's a beautiful picture. And the nice thing about it is, and this is something that, that, that Wesley was known for in his hymn writing, is that not only did he write a beautiful hymn, but he also wrote something that was just deeply steeped in theology. And so you can see that when you start looking at the song. The song starts off, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Think about just in that first half of the first verse, we get the answers to several questions. Like, for instance, who is Jesus, right? He's the everlasting king. Um, And we get that in there. uh, it says that right there, this newborn king, peace on earth. Um, and he is the Lord who came down from the highest to dwell among us. He came as the offspring of the virgin's womb. Listen to the rest of the, um, the rest of that first verse. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Uh, Heart the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Um, Beautiful, beautiful passage in that first verse. What did Jesus come to do? Well, it explains it in this song. He came to reconcile God and sinners so that God would be able to be pleased to see us. Um, How did he accomplish this? He laid his glory by in order that no more may die. Um, How can this life be ours? These are the questions that it's answering. Through the radical, life-changing, soul-altering event that we call second birth. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. That answers the question who Jesus is. Late in time, behold him come. Offspring of what? The virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, 
the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as men with uh, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. Hark the herald angels sing, glory again to the newborn king. Hail the heaven born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Remember we talked about that. Born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them what? That's right. Second birth. Beautiful, beautiful hymn. The funny thing is, is that Charles, when he was writing these, um, one of the, he, was, he wasn't writing music, he was writing poetry for the most part. And the poetry did get set to um, a song and, and, as you know, most poetry, especially in, in that particular time frame, was uh, very rhythmic in their meter and rhyme scheme. And, and they were, it was easy to put them to song. And so when Charles was writing this, um, he got a little frustrated because back in those days, you didn't really have copyright laws like we have today. And oftentimes his, song, his hymns, his poetry, would be written and copied and published uh, by preachers and other people, well-meaning individuals. Nobody was trying to steal his work. They didn't often give them attribution. They weren't required to. And uh, consequently, um, sometimes when people would take his hymns, they would rewrite them. They would change them a little bit. And it kind of frustrated Charles Wesley because he didn't want that to happen. And so he actually wrote a, uh, in one of the, the books of poetry that he uh, produced, that he sent out to churches uh, on request, he put in there, he says, and I'm going to paraphrase this, I'm not going to say it exactly because he wrote it in English anyway, but um, he basically said, uh, feel free to use these. Feel free to copy these as much as you want, but do me the favor and the courtesy of, of keeping my words the way I wrote them. Um, I, I wrote them for a reason, and I wrote them for a purpose. And then he said, if you feel so compelled to change the words, uh, please do so. Please put the original in the margins so that people can see um, what we actually wrote. My brother and I, he was talking about his brother um, and himself. And... Uh, and then um, that way he can have the actual words there. People can see what they actually had to say. Um, but this particular song was changed from its original format. And it was done by a dear friend of Charles Wesley, um, another preacher by the name of George Whitfield. And George Whitfield was, um, he just wanted to, he wanted to clean it up a little bit. It's the original verse of the first part of uh, Heart the Herald Angels says, Hark how all the welkin W-E-L-K-I-N, rings. Glory to the King of Kings. Um, in Old English, the word welcome, welkin, means the vault of heaven. And so uh, George Whitfield said, you know, that's nice, but I think we could do a little better. So he changed it to hark the herald angels sing, and then says glory to the newborn king instead of king of kings. Um, he changed a few other things, but nothing, uh, nothing really major. The idea here was, was he just wanted to clean it up to make it a little more understandable. And I'm glad he did, because I don't know if I would want to sing hark... Uh, hark how all the welkin ring, um, because I don't think that would have any relevance in our culture today. But it's a beautiful song that's filled with rich theology. And I find that's the case with a lot of our old hymns. 
One of the other hymns that uh, I wanted to touch on, also on that theme of angels and dealing with um, uh, the shepherds that were in the fields that night that had the angels that uh, visited them, is uh, the next song is Angels from the Realms of Glory. This song was written in the 18, 18, about 1816, um, and it was written by a man named uh, John Mont or James Montgomery. And it's an actual interesting story because this fellow James was, uh, he was, he was, had an interesting birth, right? He had an interesting uh, childhood and early adulthood that might have broken a lesser man. When John was, uh, well, when James was six years old, he was the son of uh, John Montgomery, who uh, he and his wife were Moravian missionaries, and they were one of the only Moravian preachers in all of Scotland. And they wanted to share the gospel to folks in Barbados. Now, nowadays, Barbados is a place you go when you want to get a big, good tan and you want to enjoy the island um, experience with uh, the beaches and the sands and the tourism. But in the 1800s, um, Barbados was a bit wild. And uh, there were pirates, there were cannibals, there were natives, there were, there were truly heathen pagans that desperately needed to know Jesus Christ their Savior. Although I have to say that there probably is just as many heathen pagans, maybe even more so, in, in Barbados that need Jesus now as they were then. And, um, but in, that, in, the, in those days, uh, missionaries oftentimes to these island nations like this wouldn't live. They would, they would be killed doing their work. And John Montgomery and his wife felt so called, they left England and went to the Barbados uh, to uh, be missionaries. But they didn't feel that they wanted to bring their son James with, him, with them because they didn't know if they were going to live through it. And so they put their son James in a boarding school in Ireland in a community that was run by the Moravians. And uh, so James at six years old, said goodbye to his mother and father and never saw them again. They died in Barbados doing God's work. And so uh, James kind of uh, had a rough childhood. He, uh, when he got old enough to go to school, he um, was enrolled into um, a school in England, uh, which was often the case during that time. He flunked out. Um, so he was so bad that the, um, that the professors and the headmasters of the school uh, apprenticed him to a, to a local baker. And he did that for a little while and said, you know something, bakery, bakery, bakering, bakeringing, bakery, uh, being a baker, I don't know, uh, wasn't for him. And so he ran away from that apprenticeship. And he sort of just bounced around and was generally kind of homeless and kind of uh, couldn't really, didn't know where he was going to go with his life. It wasn't until his um, early 20s that he came across a controversial newspaper that was willing to give him uh, a chance because he loved to write. He had written several poems and other stuff and he just sort of bounced around as a homeless poet looking for his way in life. And this uh, newspaper gave him his start. And from there, uh, he began to write it. The owner of the, the, owner of the paper ended up uh, having to flee the country because he had written some things that were a bit scandalous about the king and the crown and the, and, and the powers that be. And uh, he had an arrest warrant put out on him and uh, had to leave the country. So James had saved up some money and he bought the newspaper and it became his. He went to jail a couple times uh, because of his um, stance and some of the editorials he wrote in the 
paper that wasn't favorable to the crown. Um, but he became sort of a local hero and eventually became one of the most prominent men in England um, at that time, especially in the town of Sheffield, which is where he was. And it's interesting that it was around that time, around, um, it was in Christmas Eve, I believe the story goes, um, around 1816 when he was uh, attending a Christmas Eve service and they were reading the story about the shepherds in the hills. And he was reading that particular line where it says angels from the realms of glory. Um, and he just was so moved by that that he wrote this poem, uh, Angels from the Realms of Glory, and then published it in his newspaper as a poem. And a few years later, in 1821, on Christmas Day, it was sung for the first time after being put to music um, in a Moravian church in England. And it was entitled from that point on, Angels from the Realms of Glory. And here's a man who had every reason to be angry with God because of the loss of his parents, his uh, early childhood, bouncing around from home to home. Uh, but instead, he used that as a springboard to be one of the most prominent men in this community and an abject lover of God. And so I'm just going to ring, I'm just going to ring, I'm just going to read the first uh, verse from that particular uh, hymn because I think it's so powerful. Listen to this. Listen to the theology that's in this, right? The scripture that it's drawn from. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight over all the earth. Ye who sang creation's story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Beautiful, isn't it? Come and worship, come and worship the newborn king. Shepherds in the fields abiding, watching over your flocks by night. God with man is now residing. Yonder shines the infant's light. Sages, leave your contemplations. Brighter visions beam afar. Seek the great desire of nations. Ye have seen the infant's star. You know, beautiful, beautiful theology. As he uses God's word to inspire him to write a poem that has literally changed the face of worship from 1821 till today in 2020. Think about that. Think about how many hundreds of years this song has been sung in churches that have inspired men and women, boys and girls, to follow the name of Jesus Christ and to be the, uh, to, be the to seek to become the children of the living God. It's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us and through us in that one inspiring moment. The final song that I wanted to look at is a song that doesn't really have uh, necessarily a, a story of its, um, of, its, uh, of its genesis, if you will. It's also an angel song. It's Angels We Have Heard on High. This is one of those songs that um, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't written by a man or a woman that we know of. It was actually uh, several verses of different poets that are all unknown to this day, most of them French. So those of you that say very little comes good out of France, I would disagree. We have a good song right here. I mean, they've got great food, and, and I, have, I know great friends of mine um, that come from the French culture. Um, but this song was originally a French uh, a poem that was changed and altered and shifted and translated into English, and then 
and put to music. And so now we have this beautiful picture of, uh, of angels coming down to visit those shepherds. Listen to the first verse. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. And then we get the Latin, you know, all right deep, diving deep into the Latin, right? And most of us, we know it, Gloria, you know, in excelsis Deo. Um, I apologize for my singing. I know I'm not a singer, but um, you almost can't say that, right? It's, it's Gloria in excelsis Deo. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing the excelsis right. Um, I did take Latin in high school, but it's been a long time uh, since I have uh, said that. But those words, gloria in excelsis Deo, is the Latin term. Remember now, this is, you have to understand that in the 1800s, which when this was written, 1855, um, the Latin was the primary Bible, the Latin language was the primary uh, language that the Bible had been written in that was permeating all throughout uh, the Christian world, except basically England and some areas in um, in Germany uh, where they had translated the uh, uh, the Bible into English and and into German but uh, at this time the Latin Vulgate the Latin version of the Bible was what most people read in most churches and so this would have perfect meaning to them and it should have meaning to us Gloria simply means is the glory um, is Gloria uh, uh, yeah, Gloria, sorry, is uh, the word that simply means glory, right? The glory of God, the Shekinah radiant glory of God. In excelsis is the phrase for in the highest. It comes right out of the scripture. Um, and then uh, Deo, or, uh, De- uh, Deo is the word, the Latin word for God. So it's the Latin phrase, uh, glory to God in the highest, which is exactly what the angel says in verse 14, chapter 2 of Luke. Glory to God. God in the highest. And that's this song. And look what it says in the second verse. Shepherds, shepherds, why this jubilee? Why are you so excited? Um, why your joyous strains prolong? Why are you singing? Why are you excited? Um, what some glad tidings be, which inspire your heavenly song? These are all questions. What's inspiring the shepherds to be excited? And we know they were because right after the angels left, they're like excitedly saying, let's go find this kid that they say is the king. Let's go see our Messiah. Let's go find this baby um, that's lying in a manger. Let's see this happening, right? And so their song, glory to God in the highest, gloria in excelsis Deo. And then we see in verse three, come to Bethlehem and see. That's the angel told him. Um, Come and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come and adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. Glory in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Um, uh, The final verse in the song is, see him in the manger laid, whom the choirs of angels praise. Mary, Joseph, lend your aid. While our hearts in love we raise. Isn't that not a beautiful song? Written rich in theology, pulled straight from scripture. 
Now, I'm not going to diminish some of the songs that were written in modern day. You know, I, I do enjoy some songs. In fact, um, this Sunday coming up, we're going to be singing, hopefully if all goes well, um, a song called Chain Breakers. One of my more favorite songs written, um, written and performed by, um, I think, Zach Williams, uh, one of the more modern guys. Beautiful song about, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that the chains of, of sin and death and the grave have been destroyed and, and, and God is our, is, is, is our, is our rescue or our salvation. Um, I love the song, but you can't deny some of the more beautiful hymns and the rich theology that's in there. And so for the next couple weeks leading up to Christmas on Wednesdays, we're going to talk a little more about some of the hymns and the scripture that was found in them and sometimes the story um, by which that they were created. And I hope that you will see that and I know this, and I guess part of me right now, I'm talking to some of the, the younger crowd. Um, and I've heard this said by my kids and, and other young people in the church. You know, Pastor, I just don't get those hymns. I just don't mean much to me. I have to say, and I need to take a little umbrage with that, because I think it's important that um, our young generation coming up is exposed to some of the old hymns that that were written many, 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 many years ago for the edification and the building up of the saints. That's what these were. That's what they are. And I think it's important that we use them uh, because they do teach some deep theology. And to set them aside and never pick up a hymnal and never sing a hymn, um, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice. And we're not, um, we're not at a place in our walk with Christ at that point, I think, where we can say we're ready for the meat of God's word. Because if we can't grasp in the hymns the meat, then how can we grasp it? And that's like in, in like a primer. It's like a primitive form. How can we grasp some of the deeper truths in God's word? Now, that being said, there are some phenomenal contemporary songs that are rich in theology as well. And whenever we're singing and praising the name of the Lord, we should not be confined to one thing or another. We should be willing to sing in the Spirit, with the Spirit, to the God himself as we seek to praise. The Bible says that we should come into his, his courts and his gates with thanksgiving and praise in our lips and our hearts. We should be willing to sing at all times. Um, and I think it's important that as we walk through this this earth that we do that uh, but in the same respect we shouldn't throw out the old just because it's old just like we shouldn't embrace the new just because it's new we should do everything with discernment right as we as we test the spirits that come before us as scripture tells us because not every old hymn is great and not every new song is phenomenal sometimes you get ones in both old and new that just don't have really good theology we need to be discerning and everything we do needs to match up and line up with what god's word says and if it doesn't toss it out it's not worth our time so that being said i'm glad you joined us uh, for another episode of the armchair theologian and i hope you enjoy the discussion we've had about the three the three hymns this week about angels as we talked a little bit more about the shepherd's candle the candle of peace that we lit this last Sunday morning. And as we look forward to the next candle we're gonna light, which is the candle of love, often known as Mary's candle, which is why it's traditionally pink in color. And again, I'm glad you guys joined us for another episode of the Armchair Theologian. I'm gonna close right now with a quick word of prayer. And I'm gonna encourage you this week to maybe open up a hymn open up a hymnal and open up God's word and compare the songs as we remember and we think about and our mind goes to 
the uh, celebration of the birth of Christ. And I'm so excited that we get to march towards Christmas this way. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's such a privilege to be able to be in your house and to be um, in your word and to be able to talk about the richness and the diversity of the history of the Christian faith as we've, as we've seen it grow and, and change and conform more and more to the image of your son as, as you always intended. Father, we ask that you'll continue to guide us and direct us as we seek a deeper learning, a deeper understanding, a deeper love for your word and for the men and women that have served you from the time that your son uh, came to this earth as a babe in a manger, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, laid in the tomb, rose to new life as a firstborn among many, as he is our God, as he is your son, as he's part of that trinity that I don't understand, but I accept 100%. Father, we're so grateful for the gift you gave us in your son and why it inspires us to give gifts on this Christmas season, as we are so grateful and so thankful for the greatest gift ever given to all of humanity, the entire universe, and that is your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we now pray. Thank you so much, God. We love you. Amen. I encourage you this week to continue to go with God. Joyful all ye nations